Elise, good morning. Oh, good evening, sorry. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Mark. How are you doing over there? Excellent, very well. I'll, I'll just share something I've just told you, Elise, that uh, I've, I've got a bit of a deadline. I've got to remove a dead sheep <laughs> and put it, get it ready to take off the, the land. But uh, yeah, bit of a weird one. So I couldn't have said in London, I've got to go and help the uh, neighbours move a dead family member. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure it even makes any sense to anyone listening now. I, I'm really sorry I've got to cut our call short. Yeah. I need to go and rescue a dead sheep. <laughs> well, not rescue it. <laughs> it's dead already, so it's, it doesn't need rescuing. It just needs removing. But uh, anyway, uh, more to the point, how are you, Lise? What have you been up to? What have you been doing the last uh, few weeks? I'm, I'm doing really well, thanks, Mark. Um, and you will know, because we were chatting before this call, that um, at the end of this week, I'm going on holiday. So I'm in excited holiday mode, finally, to go and have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> but no I'm, I'm I'm buzzing tonight um it's been very busy crazy busy week working with oh, like America um and we've had our all hands at work today so it's just been super busy you know from my last catch-up but but good busy um and I'm just wrapping up ready to kind of Excellent. have a bit of a vacay how about you yeah good 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 uh, as you can see from what in our video call this is just obviously this is just the audio but you can see that the office is complete I'm now in there, sounds slightly echoey. I'm still filling up with furniture slowly, some soft furnishings and some accessories. I want to know, Mark, if the, do the dog bed behind you is yours or actually for the dog. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> if I was his size, he's in a small Cocker Spaniel. So unfortunately, I wouldn't be able to fit in that dog bed, but uh, he's, he looks very content there. He looks very happy. Um, so yeah, that's, it's great to have this usable space now. Um, I've, as I just mentioned in our call, my business, Blue Nectar, Blue Nectar Design. I'm just about to start a fresh rebrand. Um, that'll be hopefully coming out in the next two months whilst I sort of get that underway. Um, that really is just the back of moving down here to the Southwest and helping, hoping to um, target some more local businesses, boutique businesses, if you like. There's lots of businesses down here that are sort of startups which help, you know, need a bit of branding help and assistance. Um, exciting little projects, I'd say, as, a, as opposed to large ones. Uh, and then sort of the freelance work has been good, been quite buoyant for the last few months, but it's a little bit quieter, probably this last week or so, um, which is quite nice, gives you a bit of breathing space to do other bits. I it doesn't work the same way over there, but I definitely know like at the end of year here, it's the end of financial year. So it's all of that transition stage of end of one financial year, start of a new one. It's kind of a weird little time where everyone's scurrying around some people to spend money some people to save it and then plan for the next financial year that's definitely been a big part of our world the last few weeks yeah so and very quickly Liz, where are you going on holiday i'm going to america yay so i'm going i'm going to i'm going on an exciting note from that so i'm going to go to la and then from la we're going to go to new york and then from new york i'm going to call in at portland so we have a design studio um ASGK in portland i work with those guys quite a lot so I'm, the very end of that trip is Portland. Um, but I'm actually going to hopefully, fingers crossed, if he's listening to this, let's make it happen. Going to go in and catch up with Christo, who we did the podcast Amazing. with previously. So yes. I'm super, I know I'm super excited to meet him in real life if we can make it happen. I think we can. Fingers crossed. Well, if you can, record it. Re record a conversation and uh, anything. He might have to want to share some little nuggets. I I think we're just going to grab a beer and just share some selfies, really, Mark. I'm not really sure there's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this, one's, this one's about fun, not work. <laughs> oh, and Lisa, very quickly, how was your chat with Simon? 
Well, you've listened to it. Um, yeah, and, no, and, but how did you feel it went? Because it sounded amazing. I, I, I loved it. Like, I think he's just great to talk to. And he even gave me lots of insights and thoughts about how I view being a creative director in the future. I always think, like, where do creative directors go to die? And he assured in me, <laughs> if you love our industry as much as I hope that I do, that you just keep on loving it. Like, you know, he states in that podcast, like, his best age is now because he's still loving the work and the team that he works with. He was an absolute pleasure to chat with, even though I killed the chat twice because Zoom just kept dying and my internet was bad. There was storms. It was terrible. Do you know what? He was an absolute, I loved catching up with him. I don't know if he would ever listen to this, but if he is, thank you, Simon. It was great. We finally got your name right. I do apologize. <laughs> it was great. I had a great time. <laughs> uh, he sounded like a lovely guy and really good, really good. So moving on, Lise, and moving forward. So today's podcast is all about um, the now. Uh, the world of now and people looking to shop and they want things in the, in their immediate. We should probably just caveat that and say, look, we, we threw around a few topics as to what kind of mega trends are coming up or at the moment. Um, and of all of the ones that we shared and looked at and ping pong backwards and forth, this idea of like now, now, now culture, I think I called it, was where this one came from. The shop here, shop now. I was like, I want it now culture. Let's talk about that. So that's kind of where it came from. It's quite scary when you start looking into it. Any any future trend stuff you look into, it is all looking into the crystal ball. We are not, we're trying to predict the future here and trying to see what's going to be happening. Um, but you can base it on what's moving forward at the moment and what's being embraced and sort of what the what customers and consumers are enjoying doing, let's say, in their sort of buying process. Um, and I, I was looking at all sorts of different sort of um, research papers and documents and what have you uh, shopify is one for example about we're looking at digital uh, and digital purchases and how people are going to make their purchases and i was reading various articles via uh, shopify and talking about um different ways in which people are sort of purchasing things and different ways people are going to be purchasing things so um digital commerce um social commerce uh, even TV commerce. So these are things which you sort of you can build on a little bit. But it's all very, very expansive. And there's so much that could be happening. Use of AR, use of augmented reality, all these sorts of things to try and for brands to embrace things. Oh, look, I, I actually find them all super exciting. And I think the thing about COVID is we had to find new ways to solve problems. So whilst the world was pausing, what it was accelerating is direct-to-consumer trends that were already picking up at accelerated shows. Um, shopping online, it kind of became non-negotiable because we couldn't go out necessarily to the shops. But I think what fascinates me, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, is um, even in terms of entertainment, so we had Netflix and things before, so all of those kind of entertainment and viewing platforms, as well as shopping, I always used to have this big battle in my head to go, I love branding, but marketing is constantly trying to sell me stuff or give me messages and you're kind of bombarded with information. But actually it's critical to the future. And all what we're going to talk about in terms of the commerce trends is there's so many different channels now to push out that content. But ultimately my heart still goes, what do I buy into as a brand? Because otherwise it's just stuff. So I have this huge fight because I'm a minimalist and I don't buy stuff. I, buy, I do buy into certain brands. How do, you, how do you kind of nurture that? As someone who's just producing content, that's just more and more and more content. These trends that we're looking at and what we're talking about shop here, shop now, it's more stuff, more and more and more. 
where does it stop? Like, where do we take it? Like, it's just so many opportunities. How do we rein it in? Do we need to rein it in? I think it's just a fascinating space to be playing in. And I know, like I spent this morning talking to a client about our content marketing packages. So it's not necessarily, and for them, it was taking it, taking their brand and then looking at the um, this omni-channel that, that we use at the moment to go, what channels are most relevant? How do we produce consistent content for you? Um, let's talk about digital shopping. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I know it's very difficult to know where to start with this particular subject, like with all these trends, because we are literally, we're trying to predict something, which we don't know whether it's going to sort of, how it's going to happen. But I think for the biggest thing is the, the marketeers and the, the brands who are trying to sell themselves is what can they do? What's holding them back at the moment? The things that are sort of starting to limit them is, which is quite interesting, is when brands want to sell something, they need to have numbers, need to data to be able to understand right what works for them, what doesn't work. People are now getting really hacked off with the idea of, let's say, cookies, for example, on their websites. And every time you log on a website, you said, we're going to capture this, capture that. And most people say decline or we don't, I don't want any of this. Every time you decline that, you're stopping that brand or product from understanding what your purchase, um, what your purchase is going to be, how many are going to buy and what you're looking at, all the, all the data that they need to collate. Um, so these sorts of things, brands are going to have to start, start adapting and where, what other channels can they use where they can measure. So... I think ultimately what I'm suggesting is brands need to constantly experiment to see what's going to work for them. And they're starting to understand now the digital space, i.e. selling directly via websites, may not necessarily be the way forward. They've got to try, what, how else can we sell where we don't necessarily rely on these cookies and things that the people are trying to uh, stop using? The brand narrative as well is that they actually need to get into your heart and your space without just trying to sell you stuff. So I think there's kind of a, there's this, this is another trend that kind of sits alongside of this. And that's about that privacy and data trend that you talk about where people are, I don't want to share my cookies. I don't want you to have my data. I don't want you to have to know so much about me. And I think as we see this rise in say the metaverse, the privacy and data side is going to be, that's going to be one massive thing. We're going to have to see how that plays out. I know we've touched on it before, but I think this is where it becomes about brands having to be authentic and they have to be trusted by their customers and the consumers. And to that point, trusted to the point where I don't mind if you have my data because you're one of my trusted brands. But in order to become trusted, you've got to um, be entirely open about what, how it is you're using that information and in that data. Um, and it's also about the number of clicks. Uh, this is a really interesting point. Well, it's, uh, clicks in terms of digital, but I know there's, we're talking other forms of commerce, not just entirely computer related um, is the, the number of clicks it takes to get a product. Um, think about, I know we're dusting around here, Amazon's uh, buy it now button. You know full well, you click the Amazon buy it now button, you can get that product immediately and it comes straight to you. There's no, no faffing around. They know what, how, how you're going to make that payment. They, it's basically you click once and that's it. Every other route to purchase uh, in Amazon or any other buying platform is you have to go through a number of different stages, which in turn, I think, turns people off. People want things easy. And you said they want it now. They want that one click button. And who do they trust to have that one click button? It's the authentic brands who actually are relating themselves to their customers. And how do you think that lives then, Mark? So you are still and these these 
like especially with um, direct to consumer, there was there was a massive rise in direct to consumer products um, where perhaps they'd never even heard of the brand and they would use Instagram um, to, you know, to have their shop or Shopify or things like that. They would pop up in your world and sell to you. There's always going to be a ream of consumers that just want to buy stuff. In fact, my GM the other day who has her amnesty for July is I'm not going to do any online shopping in July because she has something new turns up every single day. And she will openly admit, even though she works in our world, she knows that brands just want to buy stuff. She went, I just like opening things. So there's always going to be. And I think COVID kind of accelerated those trends as well, because more you could have more things or anything that you want. You didn't need to shop anymore. You can just order it online. And there's constant stimulation of to, to consume things. Um, and I mean, that's I mean, that's just the shopping side of things to consume anything, really. I know we've kind of got that a bit later down, so I won't talk about it too soon. But I think the different types of channels now that we're seeing it on. It's just fascinating. And it's just, you know, like it, it, if you have an idea, you can get it out there and sell it somehow. Which is something scientists said about that speed and about your, your GM who likes to receive stuff. But almost, I bet full well that she wants to click that button one day and have it either sent to her that day or the following day any more longer than that as long as something's arriving at as long as something's arriving at every day she's fine it doesn't matter if you're excited it's just just the days where nothing turns up but it's a slight disappointment (laughs) but you're right the the pandemic and the lockdowns that everyone sort of globally the world over had to go through has meant that people become used to this and they become used to i mean for example we hadn't as a family we, we hadn't really used food delivery services so supermarkets delivering to us directly we didn't need to moving out of the country it becomes more of a necessity because you can't, don't always with a young family and both of us working being able to go out to the supermarket isn't necessarily always easy as easy as it would be normally um, but then with lockdown happening, we thought, well, we started to experiment and now we get a delivery twice a week and it's just become the norm. And you know that, OK, if you use them as often as that, for example, you don't pay a delivery delivery price and you start to weigh out, OK, well, it makes more sense. Why don't I just do this on everything online? Then you've got the Amazon guy coming as well. So there's constantly people turning up at the door with deliveries. Um, unfortunately, nothing exciting. I'm sure your GM is ordering far more exciting stuff than your pasta and your chicken coming in, or in my case, oh, I don't know. There was a meat slicer in the studio last <laughs> week because someone gave her a ham. <laughs> um, so you know, it's never—it's just an excuse to um, an excuse to shop, I guess. And the interesting thing, and I guess, look, the opportunity for brands, based on what you say, is if you previously used to go to the store and do shopping, you walk past things on shelf. But when you're online shopping, again will store the algorithm. Hi, Mark, this is your basket from last time. Do you want the same items? We notice you like this. Do you want to try this? So that's a secondary layer of being able to sell things to you. There are different than content marketing routes in. I mean, I don't know where you necessarily do your shopping, but you might then load up your Instagram and because of the algorithm and the recognition, it will know something that you put in your basket at Amazon or at Waitrose or wherever it is that you might to shop. The algorithms are all connected. Um, and I think that's fascinating, like how that all links together or how naive people are. Maybe they're not so much anymore because we're all aware of the security of it. It makes it easier to just have it. And then in conjunction with all of this, it's easier to shop because it's there and you can have it tomorrow. There's also this ream of 
buy now, pay later services as well. And I'm sure you've got just as many in the UK that fuel your need to shop. And it's going to be really interesting. Like, I don't know about over there, but the rate of inflation over here right now is crazy. I'm doing a whole presentation on the need for essentials and going back to basics. How do we're kind of fueling an economy that says whatever you want, you can buy it online. You can have it now. And buy now, pay later will help you pay for it later. But then the economy going into overdrive and everything's getting more expensive and we're not getting paid as much money. Where do we go like in the next two years? There's a degree of financial discipline that people need to really grip. And I think they're going to have no choice but to get it sorted now. Because if you are of that mindset of just using credit to buy things, it's going to bite you in the bum. Because as you said, inflation, interest rates is going to keep rising. And if you're buying stuff now to pay later, the amount you're paying later is going to be in excess of probably what you even dreamed of. So I've always been one personally, just if you don't, if you can't afford it, you can't buy it, don't buy it. And I'm sure you're the same. And it might be a generational thing, or I know my dad used to sort of say it to me a lot, and I'm sure your mum and dad would the same. I think it's, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's very much about how you've been brought up or the habits you've been taught around money and things like that. Like, I don't necessarily think it's a age or generation thing, but it's definitely, I, like, I know people also kind of around our age that would go, well, like, they've always, they used to have the lay-by or whatever it was where they'd order from catalogs and pay for it later. So I think it really depends. Like, my mum always taught me, as seemingly your family did, earn it, then you can have it. And it means more for it. Like, I still think even now... Um, if someone goes oh you could buy them headphones like after pay it buy it like you can have it have them now and like why do you need to wait for it and you go like no like I don't I don't really need it now I'm really good at rationalizing go because I don't like having stuff either unless I really need it so I'm really good at it but I'm very conscious of the people around me who aren't and I think I mean I'm expecting us to see I returned to our conversation a, a year and a half ago about when we didn't know anything about fintech and someone asked me the other day about Mozo Bank and, and I think from memory, they were one of the banks that educated oh, you. Monza, you know the one Monza. that, do you remember when it sent you a text where, Monzo Bank, where when you um, when you order something and it's late at night, it sends you a text the next morning before the transaction goes through to go, are you sure you want <laughs> yes. to buy this? So I think it creates, like, can you remember when we used to talk about it and go like, it recognises that people shop when they're stressed or in certain circumstances, when they're drunk, late at night, when they're bored. And so it makes you think twice before you do it. So I'm expecting there to be more of those kind of banks, definitely with the economic downturn right now. There's a great opportunity for those kind of things. Are there also, from an opportunity point of view, from online shopping stores, are there ones that, we see it for sustainability, buy us, and then you can refill us? So you're longer term saving money by buying into at the first, but they're using some of those sustainability messages to tap into the kind of the Shopify mindset. So I think it's a really exciting space to kind of see how it unravels and and the messaging is going to be critical Mm. for all of these brands. So where do you think, moving forward then, which do you think of all the platforms we've spoken about so far, who, which do you think is going to be adopted um, by the brands for the most part? Because obviously... People, brands are playing this juggling act of what they should be using. Um, do influencers get used? Um, should they be being used? You know, those sorts of questions and how they get used in social platforms, social media platforms. I think it will depend on the brand and each brand will go, these are my channels. This, this is, again, this goes back to if you do a good brand strategy, who you're trying to target, where do they go? Where do they hang out? 
because you can hang out online as much as you can hang out in real life and then target those kind of platforms. I think it was fascinating when we were doing our research, when we were like this, this rise of video shopping. I thought that was fascinating that you can go on like the video shopping thing. Even the online trading platforms kind of fascinated me. There was explain, explain video shopping, Liz, because this is something that I didn't understand either. And I so, so it, do you know what? Like, and I, and I, it's funny because in your little thing you put QVC. This is not. It's not dissimilar. So it's effectively like a. You might be watching Instagram and, and you're scrolling through, and there's this live video where someone is selling you things, like a live QVC. It's now. It's an offer. Why not get it? Here it is. You can then the amount of clicks you've got, click to it link to that and buy like buy it there and then there you go it's there you're just scrolling your social media boom i've got it so it's integrating shopping and social media i mean i don't know about you like i get frustrated with instagram when now when it gives me too much of that stuff like i don't i don't want videos to play out loud when i'm just scrolling through instagram and looking at my feeds and things like i I just want to browse um so i get bit too much but i kind of watch people like people shopping even through things like snapchat and, and tiktok and things it fascinates me how people consume that media and how that then drives them to buy through it. So yeah, video shopping is very much, it's like QVC for now. <laughs> so, yeah, but the way I understood it, the way I understood it, I think there's lots of different sort of iterations or versions of this sort of um, TV connected, TV shopping. The way I was sort of seeing it as another subject we can chat about is subscription models to things, but um, streaming services that have, let's say they've, they've televising a program love island which which is one of one of your one of your favorites obviously mark (laughs) (laughs) exactly but i was reading about how that programs like love island if one of the people on their program is wearing a particular item of clothing a qr code or something pops up on the screen the user can then scan that quickly and put make that purchase that that item of clothing straight away um throughout that process and another way of that data being captured, obviously, they know when that QR code is being shown, the brand does it is, uh, and then that can be shared where it came from and whether that sort of platform for using them to sell was of any good to them. So that's the way I understood it. And I think they're maybe not necessarily QR codes. It could be something else. That sounds quite sort of archaic, almost scanning your TV with the QR code. It might be something a bit more interactive. It doesn't now, though, does it? Because we're all kind of, it's been, it's seen the rise of the QR code and stuff again. But it's also that, 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 so if, that is if it wasn't on a television say and it was on your own personal social that might pop up relative to what you look at so you might get a, um, someone advertising and it's through and there's a sephora or a whatever it is i don't know a nike piece that they're wearing and then to your point you can go i want to buy that nike piece but it might come up in, a, in an integrated way so it's kind of it's a bit of a blurred line isn't it to your point to go actually they've been what you don't unpack is like they've probably been paid to wear that item to encourage you to buy it because they're wearing that item whereas you just go through go oh wow cool Justin Bieber's wearing that I want to buy that item scan it buy it so there's lots of that background research I think consumers are pretty savvy but I'm thinking what what brands need to be doing how how can they sort of what what should they be doing and I think investing in influencers even though a lot of people are saying they shouldn't be doing it they're going to have no choice influence are still and will be very important certainly in, in these sort of moving forward these future platforms for sales for it they're going to become something for which brands would need to actually sort of maintain their budgets for i don't think that the influence isn't dead um i think the other thing as well where i sort of touched on as well is subscription models the subscription model for almost everything that's to for brands to keep 
um, customers interested consumers do they'll need to have that investment from their consumer and I think one of the good the good things about subscription models in terms of shopping and and shopping doesn't necessarily need to mean you get stuff but I think one of the great things about COVID is the rise in subscription of education so I think it's become a lot easier to educate yourself online through subscription models whether you have or oh, what's the name of the um I mean, look, we talk about Christo in the future. You're more able to learn design or have a, you may not have the degree certificate, but you can learn as much as you want to learn now. It makes education more accessible through the, the way that we've kind of bought to learn it online. You don't have to afford to go to a posh university or a posh school or, or whatever it is. If you are keen to learn and you have like, it's much more accessible content now. So I think that kind of subscription models trying to think of the um, learning platform where there's literally every kind of course you ever might think of I will think of it by the end of the podcast no I will I will think of it by the Udemy courses there you go clicks into my head so Udemy Udemy the online learning courses you can learn anything there'll be courses for everything so I think that those kind of models to your point to a subscription model allows it allows people who perhaps didn't have access to these things before that can but it also means you can do it now. So Gary Vee always talks about if you're keen to learn something, it used to be years ago, like, oh, I can't do it until I've done this because it's not available to me. Everything is available to you. So people have no excuses not to learn or not to, again, not to have things even because they would be like, well, if you, if you really want it, like whether it's shopping or it's education, it's there, you can have it. I was just reading some of my notes uh, from yesterday and looking at the impact of what, it, what this is happening now to the, to the consumers and, and to brands about this now, now, now uh, atmosphere around sort of purchasing. What do you think it's going to mean for the, for the average high street now? Because I don't know if Sydney's the same, but in the UK, I've seen some really dreadful pictures of town centres and city centres where you've got all these retail outlets boarded up, no one wants that space, retailers don't want the space, councils won't allow people to convert those to, um, to, to houses and what have you. Um, so it's it's basically, it's wasted space right now and people can't invest, the rents are too high. So people, brands are having to sort of, well, work from home if, for the most part, you know what I mean? So do you, would you agree with this that it's really suffering? Absolutely. Like I saw it when I was in England, like the amount of empty spaces, um, even in Nottingham, like, you know, the city centre and you go, like, remember the city centre, like all of this has changed and it's different. Um, and it's definitely here in Sydney, like some of the bigger spaces, even in the city centre that you call oh, that they were there before and they're just gone. Like you'll remember, Mark, when you lived and worked in North Sydney, there was Greenwood Shopping Centre. All of the shops in there are gone because they don't need to be there. The only thing it's driving is a, is a rise in things like um, eating outlets or, or kind of very unique experience, unique, even unique experiences. So there's random things popping up in spaces that were previously shops here in Sydney. We've got we've now got like a UFC fighting gym right next to Town Hall that was previously a massive. I think it was it was an ice cream or, or something like that shop. So people are looking around the world to go, all right, what experiences can I bring that are authentic and unique? escape rooms it's kind of people buy into doing things rather than buying stuff so they can buy stuff online but they have to go to a specific place to experience things it'd be interesting with the metaverse and how that takes off because that will ultimately be a place you can go to have experiences 
so then maybe they you won't need the physical experiences anymore of that either so will everything eventually fuse together and like what will the, all the shops become because they were shops now they're experiences of some sort that are authentic and unique if that enters the metaverse I don't I think we're a long way off from that everything entering that but like what does that look like what does that look like in the future they're definitely like of course high high streets they like struggling but then say so the landscape is quite a literally changing that respect so we they, it's a it's a it's really sad. exciting it's it's, it's a really exciting <laughs> but when you, it is no, this is I agree. This it is exciting to see where it's going to go. But sad to the point where you know that these historical shopping streets and roads with the, throughout the world, which were notoriously busy with sort of the, the buzz of what was happening around it and the sales and the what have you. No, is at some point it's all going to perhaps sort of die down somewhat, and that though that landscape will change entirely. Yeah, I it's exciting and sad at the same time. It is. And I think some of our challenges as as branders or as people who work on that is to retain some of that heritage. How how do we grab hold of those people or those brands and those kind of there's a massive trend at the moment for localization and supporting community and those kind of things. How do we as brand people drive some of that? How do we how do we help those guys? stand their ground I suppose and and make them the places to go to or you know even if it's a brand or a store like a heritage store I, I can't think of a particular brand right now I think of the ones that you grew up with the things like CNA and stuff but like <laughs> how how do you Never retain you know how do you retain those there's there's a lot of that happens through collaboration and stuff but they've been doing that for years so the likes of MS for argument here in the UK they have been their online platform is I don't I can't I don't have any numbers to sort of refer to right now but i'm pretty sure that their online sales um are overtaking their retail sales on site resales uh, retail sales so they've been doing it for a long long time it's more about the smaller brands i think which is going to have an impact i mean there's a lot of in these empty spaces now there's a lot of pop-up brands coming up pop-up stands pop-up shops where sort of people are sort of launching their products into the market but it's where they go beyond that. You can't just keep having a pop-up shops. It's no, and I think, and that's that's the exciting thing for brands because it's kind of go. How do you build a brand, not just a pop-up shop or a Shopify? I've got a product, I want to sell it. Where do you go beyond that? Because you need to. There's so many now. Anyone can launch and sell anything and produce anything. How do you stand out from a crowd? Because the crowd's getting bigger. And every single, everyone has to work on that. It's, everyone has to enter the digital space. It's not going backwards. Like you need yeah. to just figure out your channels and just launch into them. That, but this is right there. And this is how, how do you select the channel that's right for you? And it, because there are so many and so many options available, and going back to what we were talking about initially about um, digital commerce, TV commerce, um, social commerce. It's, I mean, these are new words now that we're sort of throwing into the mix here. But, you know, these are, there are so many ways. I mean... I've been thinking about with me just doing a bit of a rebrand for my little business, Blue Nectar. But what channels am I going to be using and focusing on? Because you can't choose them all. It's impossible to say, right, I want to have it. You could spend all your time producing content for every single sort of channel and not have not have any hits. You've got to choose the ones that are going to be right for you. And it's, I think, with so many options coming into the fray right now, knowing which one to, to work at and look at is. You know, it's daunting, and it, I guess. 
It is, and I think it all look, it ultimately all comes back to what's your strategy? Who do you want to target? I listened to a great episode with Gary V podcast the other day talking about optimism but also putting in the hard work, and he talked about LinkedIn being the office and Instagram being the bar. So think yeah. about where the people you want to target hang out. Think about who you want to work with. And, and he talked about people who put content on Instagram. What's the content for? Because normally, you know, and, and you know, they, if you have a product to sell, think about the people who use Instagram. What do they use it for? Is this your market? Um, and I know like there's a really good, I'm going to point you, this is like a tip for you as well. Now, so if you go to Martin Neumeyer's website, I've talked about him previously on the podcast and he talks about the brand gap and that kind of stuff. He has some great tools that talks about your verticals and all of the different touch points you can use and then what, which kind of arrow points they tend to, whether they're kind of superficial or deeper depth. So, because it's really, you can't push content out everywhere. It's really hard. Like even for you, Mark, you kind of, like where do, where do I want to live? I want to work with I want to work with professional people. So as a brand, who, where do I need to live? Because everyone goes, oh, you need to be. We get it. Like clients, like I need to be on Facebook. Do you need to be on Facebook? What do you sell? What do you sell? Who? Where do the people you want to sell to hang out? Oh, but everyone I know is on Facebook. Oh, I'm like, yeah, but as a brand, do you need to live there? Who are you targeting? It might be you know, job seekers or something. They don't necessarily be on Facebook. Yeah, and also it comes back to the language you're using and the tone of voice. They, each of these platforms has a different way in which they sell and it, and also the, the target groups as well. So your Instagram, which is going to be, I mean, this is old stuff, old knowledge now, but I, you know, they, they each need a different approach. Um, you can't, and I, I've done it in the past, and I've made that mistake of using the same post and putting, putting on all these platforms and hoping it's going to reach this, you know, a massive number of people. It doesn't, you know, Instagram is primarily about, well, no, it's becoming more of a video platform now, should I say, than anything else. TikTok is becoming a huge part of people's um I think um, TikTok, if you like. TikTok's massively um grown and is an amazing opportunity for brands trying to sell to uh, de- definitely to um you know like to Gen Z. Yeah. Um and future and they're generations. Not polished. It's not it's not a, they're not polished, finely honed um articles or video footage it literally can be just one person i mean it's amazing if it's if it's the right content and fed at the right level it can be incredible but that's how you've hit you've hit on the word there they mark if it's the right content so i think it's that difference between pushing out content for content's sake or content that's relevant to where you're putting it to like it's like i was trying to do this podcast and give it to someone who works in grocery manufacturer or something or is a plumber they probably don't care. It's not the right content. <laughs> I mean, hats off to we anyone who's listening. Yeah, oh, I'd, lo- I'd love random people to listen to our podcast, but that's probably not <laughs> the content that we put out. Our mums listen to our podcast. It counts. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. So I think rounding things up this, I'm conscious I've got to move that dead sheet. Um, rounding things up. <laughs> I'm... Have you got anything to sort of way in which you want to summarize the conversation? Because I think that we understand now that it's a now, now, now environment and the world is about sort of getting things out in, in their hands right now. I've just written down, I've written down some from a point of view of, of brands um, and even of creative to a certain point of view. So I think the fact that it is a super fast consuming culture, I think we'll see there's also that side now that the turn off kind of, We've all been taught to pause. So I think all of this now, now, now 
will at some point there is there's the kind of people who go I don't want to consume as much I don't there'll be that kind of tune out conscious consumer I think the rise of that will come consciously consume rather than mass consumption and sustainability will drive that it's not about how much you can consume it's actually about the quality of what you consume so I do think there's kind of a level of that as well um, in terms of the amount of channels, what I would, I just think it's a great opportunity right now. The metaverse is a great opportunity for brands to work out who your audience is, work on the strategy side of it before you just launch into everywhere. But I think it's a, it's a really good time for brands to just experiment and see what works because this is a new space for all of us. I don't know if you advertising and doing TikTok dances is going to get you great intros to agencies, Mark. But you know what? I can see you doing those little dances on TikTok. <laughs> like, until you try, you don't know. Like, we maybe, maybe we should do some little jits on TikTok to, to, you know, to promote the podcast. I was thinking about that the other day. Like, how do we reach new listeners? Not because like, we don't actually earn any money from doing this podcast because we, like, we don't have sponsorship or, you know, we don't, we, it's not about selling things. It's about just something we enjoy doing. But I was thinking the other day about how do we get it to reach more people? I think the guest episodes sometimes do help us because we're reaching new audiences, new, new listeners. And again, it's not about promoting ourselves. It's actually just about we love it. How do we get more people on board? How do we build our own tribe? So I think if you're a brand, that's what you need to think about. How do I build my brand tribe? Try it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't matter because we don't know what the answers are. So in summing up for me, I would just put it's a great opportunity. Direct to consumers growing. Just experiment. But experiment with the communications that you use and the channels you communicate through. Mm. I think that's it. And it's the same for me, Leeds. I'm more, I'm all about the experimentation. Brands can afford to do it, not just any brand of any scale, because a lot of these platforms don't require million pound budgets. Some of them, are, most of them are free, in fact, should we say. And you'll find that most consumers probably enjoy the content which has been produced because people are open to, I mean, here's an example, perfect example. Just before the pandemic hit, when, thing, when people were starting to film from home, working from home, you had the news articles being posted via iPhones and from iPhones and the quality of recordings of stuff that we were used to dropped dramatically. Consumers became used to that and they know now that things can be lo-fi, yet you're still receiving a good quality portion of content. It might just look bad quality. So people know that people, us doing this podcast now, it's done on a shoestring. We don't do it, we don't use it. It's not expensive to produce. In fact, it's free to produce. You know, we're doing it for free. Like, it's, it's not a, to me, it's about sharing opinions, asking people's opinions and learning from it. And then, you know, I like to think that we're sharing knowledge, sharing information, and hopefully we get that shared information and knowledge back, you know? Yep. And I think some of the, and you'd be surprised at what people are interested in. So even from doing our research for this, I discovered that platform called Whatnot, which is a live trading platform. Fascinating that people want to, Almost, and I was talking to um, to someone earlier about how you can um, open, you know, collectible cards and stuff. You can go, I'm going to watch this live trading platform, watch someone open that card, I can pay and I can have that. I will buy that card. So it's live trading via video. And so I just, you'd be fascinated by what, what content people are interested to consume. So just try it. Like you think no one's interested in what you have to say, you'd be surprised or what you have to set or what you have to sell or what people listen to us mark i mean yeah. <laughs> you know you'd be surprised what people are into so i think but it's we're, we're not selling thing. anything we're not saying anything. no we're not I, I'll, I'll quickly round on my end here but it's saying that 
my two-year-old, three-year-old son um, is, is on YouTube watching various different funny little cartoons and stuff. And stuff that he finds on via YouTube, just little windows that come up and clicks, are people putting out lots of this video content. And they're, they are selling products subtly within their own content. But it is, it's very lo-fi. And yet my three-year-old is happily sort of searching through his, and he's being exposed to this sort of marketing input. It's, it's scary and fascinating at the same time. And, but these are being produced by people who aren't doing it for money. They're just doing it as in they're not doing it on big production costs, but they're able to get out there and market themselves. Uh, and it's, it's working for them. I think it's fair to say that, especially at the back of a pandemic, some people just want a voice. Um, and I think, you know, there's always someone out there to listen. So I, I, I think it's a fascinating time. And But some of the stuff from doing our research just fascinates me, the amount of different platforms. I mean, we work in it every day, the content packages I put together um, from a work point of view, even just the ability of what we have right now, like in our photography studio, we can shoot still images but then we can use those still images to, pre- to create separate, consistent, flexible brand assets, we call them, that produces moving content from something that's still. So I think all of these, all of the rise of media and digital allows us to do things we've never used before. And some of that is AI kind of forced, but it's producing consistent content that then can be pushed out to different platforms. Like almost one singular thing becomes spread across different kind of uses but it needs yeah. to be flex it needs to be flexed within the use to make it relevant to the platform it's used on which is kind yeah, of and financially viable it's got it has to be flexible you have to go right can i use this about across multi-platforms if not you're investing too much in one area potentially yeah so, yeah being flexible oh, so- and being being able to experiment i think that's that's probably my sum up but least this has been amazing i'm now going to go move a dead animal yeah, awesome holiday, Lisa. Enjoy it. And, uh, we'll catch oh, you thank you very much. Good luck with the sheep.